Hello and welcome to Helios Blog. My name is Helios here for another reaction video. Today, Jordan Peterson talks about evil people and dating. Let's get into it. The reason she's alone is because she's difficult. Women are not accepting the bare minimum. Women fuck men they respect. All the women who say things like, I'm strong, independent, I don't need no man, like, y'all impress me. Women just gaslight each other and say what they want to hear. And uh, a Machiavellian, but Bernie Madoff was the classic. He was the most popular guy in his building on Fifth Avenue. Big smile on his face all the time. Happy-go-lucky and stealing money from thousands of people. Far more money than he could ever use. As a billionaire, he wanted more billions. But that's a niche in which Machiavellianism will... Uh, help you get to the top. Uh, you have to manipulate and hide and do it relatively low-key, unlike the narcissist. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think we already talked about the psychopath and the, uh, the sadist, but it does uh, play out in the occupations that one chooses uh, to, to suit your, your niche. Yeah, well, you, you can also see there that that makes the issue of leadership a complicated one, right? Because mm -hmm. we know that the big five personality profile of narcissists is something like high extroversion and low agreeableness. And so, and so you, you can see there that someone who's low in agreeableness is going to put their viewpoint forward in a pretty aggressive manner, and someone who's extroverted is going to be enthusiastic and captivating. And so, and you need those you can understand that there might be situations that cry out for genuine leadership where both being extroverted and being disagreeable would be an advantage. And, you know, that might be a situation where you hope like hell that your extroverted, disagreeable politician is also extremely high in conscientiousness. So that even though they might like attention and even though they might be less empathic than that their relative lack of empathy would pose a certain risk, that their proclivity to abide by a set of ethical principles would override that. But then you get people who fake that conscientiousness and fake competence, which is partly what psychopaths do when they entrap women, is to, to fake that competence and then to look like you're abiding by the rules when you're just being Machiavellian and narcissistic and manipulative. Yeah, that's fascinating to think about different combinations. And... Uh of the big five, but also of the dark, the dark tetrad. I wrote a paper on Steve Jobs, for example, some time ago. It helps to be a genius, of course, but if you're a full narcissist who believes you have the right idea and the entire world is wrong about it, everyone disagreed with him, and he was right. Right. Well, that, that's a good example of that hyper-successful niche, right? So, so that's a good, that's a very interesting case because you're going to get the odd situation where someone is narcissistic and hyper-intelligent and correct. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's, it, it actually went in his favor in that case, right? It, it actually served him quite well. Though it did ruin all of his relationships if you, if you look into Steve Jobs' history. All right. Let's do the shilling now. Hit the like, hit the sub, hit all for notifications. Drop me a donation like Hunter M, Adrian R, and Tom M. 
Buy my books at bit.ly slash heliosbooks. Shout out to Curry Kid, last guy to uh, to buy the strategist guide to seduction. I really do appreciate it. Go to my Patreon and subscribe, patreon.com slash the blog. Share this video. Thank you so much. Shitting is done. Let's continue. In which case their, their narcissism and their callousness in some sense is absolutely what's needed to bring forth that whole set of ideas. Well, in fact, he was fired by his own company. That's hilarious. After having proved himself to be a genius and changing the world in so many ways, his own company said he was too obnoxious. What a surprise. So they let him go. Eventually, the company kind of faded out. They had to bring him back. But right. how, can, how can you be so super successful and fired by your own team? Uh, classic well, case. Well you, well, you know, I knew people who, I know people who worked with Jobs, and one of the things they told me was that he was, he was unerring in his ability to cull. You know, so he had a very high eye for quality, but he, he also didn't let empathy stop him from killing projects he thought were counterproductive. And that's a tough one, right? Because you can imagine, you can't say that if you're running a company and you're attempting to produce something, that keeping a faltering project going because you don't want to hurt the feelings of the employees by bringing it to a halt is a moral virtue. It's not a moral virtue. And the reason for that, as far as I can tell, is that you're just prolonging the agony and awaiting the inevitable death. Right, exactly. So letting them continue to work on the project, even though the project is doomed to fail, is not a good choice. But here's the thing. That is an opinion, right? Because you don't actually know what the future holds. So it's funny that... I can understand why he might be fired by his own company for this, because he might have been culling or cutting projects that people thought might actually be successful, but Steve thought that they wouldn't, and so he cut it. You see? Right. So you have the evidence in some sense at hand, but you're unwilling to draw the appropriate conclusions from it. And there is that same necessity for discrimination and and elimination that might also be driving the capacity, as you pointed out earlier, of a surgeon to go into someone's body and to get rid of the cancer, right? In, independent of the fact that they have to deal with the blood and the gore and the, and the pain and the fear and all of that, and they can't let that stop them. Yeah, I agree totally with, with everything you just said. Uh, I wanted to get back to the psychometrics just for a moment. Um, I know you worked in depth uh, on the Big Five and separated into aspects and uh, broke it down. And that's, in a way, uh, characterizes a, a certain approach to personality. I call the distinction uh, lumpers and splitters. And that's, to some extent, been the pro and con of my approach trying to tease apart or parse the, the dark side is uh, an approach that just made sense to, to us given the overlap in literatures that I mentioned earlier. But there's also a tendency, uh, you mentioned earlier the, the evaluative sense, to lump together good traits with other good traits, the so-called halo, 
has its correspondent devil effect. And that is, if you learn something bad about somebody, you naturally assume, it's hard not to, to think that they have all the other bad traits too. Mm -hmm. And so the there's a lot of, uh, in a way, competitors out there working on the dark side who are trying to lump it together and call it the the D factor, the dark factor. So it mm -hmm. collapse them all into one and you can array people on this one dimension. I disagree with this idea that it's one bad thing. Although I do agree with general intelligence. So perhaps perhaps that's not so far from the truth. That ne never appealed to me. I think uh, it's a lot more interesting to break things into their components. But it well, how how inter breaking things into their components is literally the definition of science, right? Correlated. How intercorrelated are the four scales on average? And and does it? Can you extract? Can you can you extract out a single factor? How much of the variance does that factor account for? Um, yeah, excellent question. We started off with correlations between 0.3 and 0.5 with the dark triad, and that is definitely all positive. They're never negative mm -hmm. correlations. Mm -hmm. But uh, to some people, that was too high, especially 0.5 or above means, well, why don't you just add them together and call it something else? Yeah, And that's what the, the so-called D-factor people have done. It just seems such a, a silly simplicity to me that you could look at your fellow human beings and call them, uh, place them at a certain position on this single darkness when there's so many ways of being dark. There might be one way of being a, a good person, but there's many ways of being dark is, is, mm -hmm. is the approach that we took. Well, there are many roads that lead to Rome. Yes. Well, technically, what you'd want to show is that your multiple measures interestingly predict different outcomes and differentially. And you talked a little bit about occupational choice. I mean, the, the rubber hits the road basically by having you demonstrate that your, your multiplicity of categories adds predictive power to, in some interesting way, to the solution of some complex problem. I mean, it certainly seems to me to be useful, at least in principle, to distinguish something like sadism and positive pleasure taken in the suffering from others from mere impulsivity, you know, even though both of those can be problematic. I'd also like to suggest something else to, uh, to the listeners. We, we might ask ourselves, why in some fundamental sense are these behaviors, these dark tetrad behaviors, properly regarded as pathological? Yeah, why, why are the dark tetrad behaviors regarded as bad? Well, they're regarded as bad because... Here's, here's why. For a civilization to run, you need people to mostly be working together in a sort of a tit-for-tat strategy the dark triad people what they do is rather than working in tit for tat they try to extract from people they don't give as much as they take so they're a net drain on the civilization they're like a parasite 
And as a result of being like a parasite, you can't have too many parasites or else the whole organism is going to suffer and die. That's why. And I, I think, especially given that you could make the case that they have some reproductive benefits, at least compared to certain other strategies. But I think the issue here, you tell me what you think about this, it, it has to do, and this is like a biology of ethics in some sense, it has to do with iterability. And so there's this famous study, set of studies by Jak Panksepp, where he analyzed the, the play behavior of juvenile male rats. And what he showed was that if you put two juvenile rats together and one outweighs the other by 10%, there's about a 90% probability that the bigger rat can pin the smaller rat. And so if you just do that once, the conclusion you would draw if you were a, like a zero-sum biologist and someone interested in dominance is you'd say, well, the bigger, stronger, meaner, dark tetrad rat can win the competition and therefore has elevated himself in the hierarchy of dominance and is more likely to reproduce successfully. But Panksepp, being a bit of a genius, knew that rats lived in social communities and had iterated interactions with one another. And so they, you don't play with another rat if you're a young rat only once. You play with them repeatedly. And so Panksepp paired them repeatedly. And what he showed was the second time you put the rats together, the little rat had to invite the big rat to play. And mammals have a characteristic strategy for play invitation. You can see that in dogs. They sort of bounce. And so do kids. And so do sheep. Like it's extremely widespread among mammals. Um, and, and so the little rat had to ask the big rat to play. And the big rat would deign to play. But if you paired them together repeatedly, if the big rat didn't let the little rat win at least 30% of the time, the little rat would stop playing. And so I thought it was an unbelievably profound set of studies because it indicated that there was an emergent ethos that was intrinsic to repeated trades. Yeah, so the point is, I will play with you if... I should get the benefit of sometimes winning as well. Otherwise, there's no point in me playing because there's no chance of me winning, right? That, 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 I think that's profound. You know, and you know the economic games where you, you take two people and you say, look, I'm, I'm going to give you $100 and you can offer some fraction of that to your partner. But if he refuses, neither of you get anything. You play that around the world and people average out at about 50%. And it's the case that even poor people who need the money are very likely to reject a sharing offer that isn't something approximating 50%. And you might say, well, that's preposterous because why not just take the money and leave? And the answer is something like, yeah, but there's an ethos of fair play that emerges out of repeated interactions. And your goal isn't to win a single game. It's to win a set of iterated games. And the problem with the psychopathic perspective and the impulsive perspective is that even the psychopaths themselves sacrifice their own future as well as other people to the immediate gratification of their desires. And that's just not a very sophisticated strategy, right? Why win once when you could hypothetically win, you know, 50% of the time, 100 times? That's right, exactly. Which is why uh, the job of being a merchant is so effective, right? Because 
um, off of all of these trades, you get a little bit in each trade, right? Even though maybe you're not getting as much as you could in one trade. So that's that's the point. Yeah, I, I agree. It's not a very sophisticated strategy, which is why psychopathy, psychopaths usually don't end up very successful, uh, financially speaking. But Machiavellians do. And so we, I think we're, we can get close to a technical description in this sense of what constitutes pathological behavior, right? It's pathological behavior is the proclivity to gain in the short term but lose in the medium to long run. Yeah, I've thought about this in terms of the, the winner in animal groups, the alpha male, so to speak, is usually the meanest, nastiest of the group. And uh, no, not in always. human groups, the meanest, nastiest doesn't rise to the top. That's right. Usually you have not. to have allies. Yes. So indeed. alliance building is an important component of success in human societies. That's right. Not so much. It is apparently in chimpanzees, but it's really important. You get to the top if you can link, associate, and get friends, get a... a allies to help you in getting to the top. Well, Franz, Franz de Waal in his work has, has demonstrated quite clearly that the, the stable alpha males, like there are alpha males who can make it to the top who are sort of dark tetrad chimps, right? They'll use just brute force. But they tend to meet pretty damn violent ends pretty young. Whereas the stable alphas sometimes are smaller males who ally themselves with powerful females but who are also more reciprocal often in their interactions, so more fair traders, let's say, than any other individual in the group. And so DeWall has done this lovely job of relating, uh, let's say, cooperative leadership to social stability and length of reign. And so the psychopathic chimp might do better than the, the chimp who is only withdrawing and never interacts at all. But the psychopathic chimp who relies on aggression, doesn't do nearly as well as the reciprocal chimp who builds a, a network of allies. And so, and I, I, I well, I, I really like DeWall's work for that reason, you know, because it's often the fact that people who presume that our hierarchies are based on power point to, say, chimpanzees and say, no, it's power that sustains dominance. It's like, no, power can provide you with dominance in the short run, but it's not, it's not an optimized long-term strategy. Yeah. So the principle is the following adage, which is beautiful. You and what army? So if you don't have the army of allies, then you are not, you're not powerful, right? And so it's reasonable to view it in some sense as a form of deviant pathology, especially in its more extreme forms, because it's a self-defeating game. We'll be back in... Nope, we're going to skip that going on here that is far more cosmic and deeper going on. We, apart from Machiavelli, we've also been drawing on Sun Tzu, the, the famous art of war writer from China. And as in many cases, the Chinese got there before the West did. Indeed. But he talked about building alliances. And indeed, uh, we tried to invoke that in our measures and it turns out to be a key for manipulation the machiavellian is well aware 
And you can see that in some of the items on the max scale of getting people on your side is essential to getting ahead. It might might be the key the key element to it, not standing up and leading, but getting people to um, to to be persuaded to your side. Right. So the the Machiavellian then in that situation, the Machiavellian I would say is mimicking reciprocal sociability, right? Because if you and I form a relationship that's going to be stable over time. It's going to be something like, let's say, a 60%-60% exchange. You'll contribute half, and I'll contribute half. But the reason I represented that as 60% or maybe 75% is because if you and I engage in reciprocal, honest trading, the the sum total of our activity will exceed the sum of our individual activities, right? We can do more together than we could do apart. And so... There's, there's all sorts of sense to be made for the establishment of these honest, durable, and reciprocal relationships. But what that also means is that if most people establish those, then people who only act as if they're establishing them can capitalize on that. Just like the narcissists and the psychopaths with their false confidence can mimic competence and fool, well, there's good literature evidence, for example, that the dark tetrad types broadly speaking, are particularly good if they're male at fooling young women. You know, as women get older, they're better to, they get better at separating out the narcissists from the competent men. Uh, yeah, it's more like this. They actively choose the narcissists, knowing that they're narcissists because women are more socially calibrated, have their children, and then get a normal guy, normal nice guy to save them from their bad decisions later. But anyway... That's one of the strategies that many women in 2023 use. But anyway. But initially, because the narcissists have this confidence that is a marker of competence, even though not an, you know, an invariable marker, they can easily be fooled. And so that opens up the landscape of cooperators to exploitation by a small minority of, of predators and parasites. So, so what else have you found out on the social media front? And, and, and where do you think the interesting research is? Let's, let's, where's the interesting research going on in that area? And do you have any sense of what sort of constraints need to be put in place in online uh, forums to keep the psychopaths under control? Like I've come out recently against anonymity because my sense, I've read tens of thousands of of online comments, my sense is that a radical proportion of anonymous posters have these dark tetrad traits. And I know I'm inclined to disagree. I believe strongly in anonymity. Um, But anyway, let's continue. Oh, there's a research literature that actually indicates that as well. And so I've been attacked for that because people think that, you know, their right to free speech also involves this right to anonymous posting. And I can understand that argument, but the problem is it it opens up, it does seem to me to open up the landscape to the predatory parasite types, and that's a real problem. So have you thought about, like, what have you seen that you regard as a credible deterrence, if any, on the the virtual side to the dominance and and proliferation of, of dark tetrad behavior? 
No, really no uh, solutions have come to mind. Uh, it's, it seems out of control when you go to a website and ask for comments, which is really trying to get feedback to whatever is on your site. It seems, I think somebody calculated it takes about 10 comments before someone says, oh yeah, f*** you. Yeah. That's hilarious. But statistically speaking, that's how prevalent the dog triad traits are, right? Yeah, well, so you're talking about this, this proclivity of, of oh, sorry, open tetra. online discourse to turn into a kind of swarm and characterized by the, the presence of, well, I really do think it heats up the whole political environment because, you know, you alluded to earlier the fact that there's lots of things people won't say in person, partly for legal reasons, but also partly for physical reasons. And both the legal and the physical constraints are removed in the virtualized world. And that does seem to produce an unbelievable uh, flowering of pathological commentary. And then I really do believe that that makes everyone think the world and the people in it are a lot worse than they really are. Because it magnifies the effect of these, this tiny minority, especially the sadists, you know. It's been so interesting to me to watch your concept of dark triad expand to take into account that positive delight and suffering because I don't think you can really understand like radical evil by merely making uh, making reference to narcissism and, and instrumental Machiavellianism and even psychopathy. You need pleasure and suffering to really add that last, you know, nail into the coffin, so to speak. Yeah, one interesting uh, goal we had was to try to find the the female sadists mm-hmm. on on all of on, you mean like Amber Heard on all four of these components we've uh, male score higher and even in sadism we figured there's the mean girls phenomenon we all have this sense that women can be nasty in different ways perhaps. And so we tried to... Uh... Yeah, but because women virtue signal, right? They, they have to signal that they're part of the group. They're less likely to be sadistic, right? Because then they'll be expelled from the group. All right, let's end the video there. Hit the like, hit the sub, hit all the notifications, drop me a donation like Hunter M, Adrian R, and Tom M. Just click more in the video description. Buy my books at bit.ly slash Helios Books. Shout out to Curry Kid, the last person to buy Strategist Guide to Seduction. I really do appreciate it. Share this video. And of course, you can go to my Patreon and subscribe, patreon.com slash the Helios blog. Thank you so much for listening, especially if you listen to the end. I really do appreciate it. Take care of yourselves and I'll see you next time.